0: June, June 1st is not uh, only just the um, first day of June or somebody's anniversary. It also marks the midpoint of Pastor Kim and Vicky's sabbatical. So we're, we're halfway through that and we look forward to having them come back and share what God's done in their life and of course get back to uh, Pastor Kim's great messages. Um, in his absence, he's Tapped into Casey and a few of the, the men from the church to give the message, and I have the honor of uh, giving the message this morning. And uh, as we were organizing the, the plan of sermons, Pastor Kim just said, you know, pick a verse that, uh, that speaks to you. And I did that. And I have to tell you that as I prepared for this week, uh, I highly recommend you preparing a sermon. Whether you give it or not, um, go ahead and prepare for a sermon. It's a great way to study, study the Bible, because, uh, especially with deadline. Uh, that helps. Uh, I was doing part of this on planes. I was in California basically all the week last week. So it was an interesting schedule. But, uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm happy to be here. So for me, it didn't take me long to really get into the verse I I wanted to talk about. And it really comes from Matthew 22, uh, verses 37 through 40. And this is where uh, Jesus is tested by the Pharisees. And, uh, And here's his answer. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This little slice of scripture always spoke deeply to me. It emphasizes the intensity of how we're to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. It communicates God's desire for mankind in just a few short sentences. And what is the key verb in both commandments? Love. Love. This is the primary action that God asks of us, to love. Love God, love others. And if we do this, we fulfill all the other commandments. Now, for those of you who are looking, away, looking for a way around reading the entire Bible, this isn't it. <laughs> this is not the Cliffs notes for the entire Bible wrapped up in one paragraph, but it is a powerful message. And just imagine what our lives would be like. To keep these two commandments at the forefront of our thoughts on a daily basis, they can be pretty amazing. So, when I chose this passage, I, I felt the natural direction for this was to take it into developing the love concepts how to love God, how to love others. Look in the Bible, the Bible has a lot of verses about how to love God and how to love your neighbors. But as I did that, I felt led in a little bit different direction. And uh, when I looked at this, I actually realized. That this was actually the grand finale answer in a series of three questions or challenges that Jesus was getting. So let's go ahead and examine that perspective. The context of this setting is this is happening during the Passion Week. This is the week that's leading up before Easter. So this is the days before the Last Supper, the Crucifixion. resurrection. This is happening just a few days before this. So let's start with uh, Palm Sunday, and Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem on a donkey. It says here, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest! By this time, Jesus was very popular, and he received a king's welcome. That was Sunday. On Monday, Jesus makes his way into the temple. There we see a different side of Jesus. He's a little angry. He shows his temper. Clearing the temple, overturning tables of the money changers. He was very angry to see what was happening in this house of God. Then he healed some blind healed the lame. The chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and they were indignant. Indignant means they felt anger at what they perceived was unfair. They didn't think it was fair that Jesus could come in here and do all this. So here's the situation. The religious leaders had already deeply resented Jesus. He taught contrary to their teaching and that irritated them. He was more powerful than they were And that was tough for their egos to take. He demonstrated powers and abilities that they could not even conceive. And now he's in Jerusalem, clearing the temple, turning over tables, healing more people. He was rocking their world, and they were threatened. He threatened their popularity, he threatened their position, he threatened their doctrine. And because of this, they wanted him dead. But they realized they couldn't just come right out and kill him because they didn't want to alienate the population of people that were praising Jesus, and they didn't want to seem guilty of anything, so they set out to trick him to make a mistake in his words. So they get him arrested and ultimately executed. Now, to truly appreciate the context of this scene, it'd be best if we're all experts in Jewish law and the Roman law of the day. The problem that is I'm not one of those experts and perhaps you're not an expert in that either. So I thought a word picture for us would help us out. Um, So imagine that you're playing a game of horse. You know that game of horse? Horse, you play that with your kid? It's a basketball game and you shoot a basket and if you make it, the guy behind you got to shoot and if they don't get it, they get a letter. H and O and R S E and so forth. Um, But you're playing with a professional basketball player now and he's not doing layup shots. You might be taking some three-pointers and maybe out in half court. Tell you what, um, we have a video I think that will help maybe communicate this a little better. Rob, you want to cue this up for me? picture. By the way, a lot of you recognize Michael Jordan there. My son didn't know the other guy. That's Larry Bird. Uh, had, had a decent career with the Boston Celtics. Um, they, they had fun putting that together for me. So, uh, so the religious leaders are thinking up their trickiest shots. I'm sure they had their best and brightest people working on this task. Probably had their best trick shot questions all lined up, whittled them down to the very, very best. Um, and they're trying to stump Jesus, make a fool of him, get him arrested, and ultimately get him executed. So now it's Tuesday. Jesus comes back to the temple and the religious leaders are there and ready to challenge Jesus and they have their very best trick questions. In fact, the questions are so hard, they don't even know the answers. And that's the point. They don't want Jesus to get the answer. They have the game rigged, so they think. So now i have gonna tell you, there's two different groups of religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And by the way, they don't get along with each other. You can think of it as religious competition. And you can think of, you know, so anyway, they're doing their thing, and the Pharisees go first. And so here's the first trick shot, and I'd say this is equivalent of probably a full court shot. So you're standing one in the court, basket at the other end, got to make it all the way. Um, and and so here's the the verses here, uh, chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. I'm going to break these down a little bit. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. This is a pretty interesting little sentence because... The Pharisees are a religious group. They oppose the occupation of Rome and Israel. The Vordians, on the other hand, are a political party, and they support the Roman occupation of Israel. These are normally two bitter enemies, yet they're uniting here to come against Jesus. We go on. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way God of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, they thought they had a foolproof plan here. They thought it was cornered. If Jesus agreed it was right to pay taxes, the Pharisees would say that he's opposed to God. God's the only true king. Yet, if he says that Jesus should, if they say he should pay taxes, or should not pay taxes, the Rhodians would hand him over to Herod in the charge of rebellion. So either way, he's cooked, so they think. So let's see what Jesus says. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, says, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Full court shot, nothing but net. Of course, Jesus knows right away it's a trick question, but it doesn't matter. They're challenging God the Son. So the question completely backfires on them. The Pharisees and Herodians are are really the ones that are tricked here. Now, some translations suggest a more accurate wording is give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, the money. Give back to God what is God's. That's us. Give ourselves back to God. And I think the real point here that Jesus is really pointing out is this is, a, this is a question of distinguishing authority. When you're occupied by Rome, you pay taxes, you're acknowledging Rome's authority over your nation. But don't forget, the ultimate authority is God. So the Pharisees went away, now it's the Sadducees' turn. Now, I remember a few minutes ago I told you that they don't get along, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And they have a fundamental dis- dispute among themselves, and that is the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees do. And the Sadducees really see the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, as their basis of scripture. And they never be able to draw a direct correlation in the Pentateuch to the resurrection. So, in fact, they've been challenging the Pharisees on that point for years and years and years. It actually drives the Pharisees crazy because they they believe in resurrection, but they can't find it in the Pentateuch. In fact, no man on earth has ever been able to answer that question, draw a line between the Pentateuch and the resurrection. So the Sadducees are feeling pretty smug about their position. No one's ever gotten it. They've tried. So here they go. So here's from um, Matthew 22, verses 23 through 33. And I'd say this is equivalent from up in the rafters. So shooting that up the rafters, kind of off the floor, off the backboard kind of thing. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. So that's actually from the Old Testament. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. Same thing happened to the second and third brother, right down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Now, this is a little bit of an extreme scenario, but it it is biblically based. So the Sadducees feel like they're standing a pretty solid ground. But here's Jesus' reply. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they will be like angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God has said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So here's the deal. The Sadducees had an enormous error in their reasoning. They thought that heaven is like earth. The reality is heaven is going to be very different than what we experience here on earth. And oh, by the way, God is powerful enough to raise the dead. So Sadducees knew the key elements of the scripture, but they missed the key truths. So they leave with their tails between their legs. So on to the third trick shot. This really is one from outside the arena. They're standing outside the ring, They've got to come through the window, um, got to make this off the wall. Now, you'd think the religious leaders would start to see that there's a bit more to this Jesus than meets their eye. He embarrassed the Pharisees and Herodians on the first trick. They did the same for the Sadducees, which is really what the Pharisees have been trying to do for years. You'd think the Pharisees would be happy. Ha, We finally got him. We put the Sadducees in their place. Both times, instant reply. Didn't need to use the a lifeline or phone a friend. Answer the question, and both times they were amazed and astonished at his teaching. The Pharisees come with their best lawyer. At this point, you think they have to be absolutely, positively sure this question is going to stump him. They got embarrassed before. They don't want to get embarrassed again. Not twice in one day. No trick shot. This was from outside the the arena. It would take a miracle shot beyond comprehension. So here's the question. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, so they knew he silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Let's gain a bit of perspective here. If I were to ask you how many commandments there are, what would you say? Ten, right? We're familiar with Ten Commandments? Well, if you were a Pharisee or a Sadducee, the number would be 613. Okay? So many laws and commandments are classified in the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible. They're known as the Mosaic Laws or Laws of Moses, those first five books of the Bible written by Moses. It was a trick question, of course, because of all these laws, you need to understand them And you need to pick the one that was the greatest. In fact, the Pharisees and Sadducees couldn't even agree on this. They debated this. Which is the greatest law? Is it the law of sacrifices? Is it the law of the Sabbath? They didn't know the answer. There were important laws or less important laws. There were do's and don'ts. They had 365 don't laws. They had 248 do laws. They had laws for men and women. They had laws for priests. They had laws for everyone else. So you get the point. This is not pick one of the ten is a far more complex question than that. And no matter which one you pick, you're going to vilify the rest. It's, it's a no-win, no-win question. Well, let's see what Jesus says here. Again, reading from the, the first passage of day, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. From the parking lot, through the window, off the wall, nothing but net. So Jesus gives two commands because that's the right answer. And they knew it. They didn't know the answer ahead of time, but when it came out of his mouth, they knew instantly it was the right answer. He actually used scripture from the Pentateuch for his answer. Gave no wiggle room to the Pharisees or the Sadducees. The greatest commandment came from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and the second came from Leviticus 19. Yep, a nice, tidy. airtight answer to the impossible question. By fulfilling these two commands, a person keeps all others. They summarize the Ten Commandments and the other Old Testament moral laws. Now, for clarification, Jesus was not replacing all the laws, but he was making a point of emphasis. The Mosaic laws provided a lot of specifics about how, the how aspect of worshiping God and and honoring other people. But the religious leaders had forgotten about the why and they were hypocrites for following the law without the right heart attitude. In other words, they kept the 613 Mosaic commandments, but they were not loving God, and they were not loving their neighbors. They're going through the motion, but completely missing the purpose. Note also that in his answer, Jesus is focusing on God's law positively. Remember there are 365 don't laws? That's 117 more don'ts than do's. And Jesus comes back and says, I'm going to give you two, and they're both going to be positive. Well, I don't have time to fully develop each of these commands this morning, but let's be clear about what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about godly love. And love is a heart issue. You can't do it if your heart's not right. So we need to get the heart right. Then make your love visible through your mind and your body. So here's a partial list of ways to display love. Number one, communicate with God. If you want to love somebody, have a relationship with them. Pray to God. Talk to God. He will always listen. And he will lead you. So take time to have that communication, that relationship with God. Two, repent of your sins. We're human. We're all sinners. Can't get away. You can't just say, stop sinning. But if you have a lifestyle issue right now that you know is not right with God and you want to have a relationship with God and love God? You've got to stop that. We are the God of grace. He will forgive us. And by the way, forgiving, forgive others. God forgives us. He's full of grace. He expects the same of us. That doesn't mean Forget. But forgiveness is very important. Forgive others. That's another way of loving others and loving God together. When you love somebody, you accept his gift. God gave us the ultimate gift. He gave us the gift of Jesus Christ. He gave us our salvation and the opportunity for our salvation. If you love God, accept his gift. Accept his gift of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then the last one on this particular list is honor and serve other people. Show love to other people. Demonstrate it. Make it obvious to them that you love them. Let's do a a quick recap. What we have here is Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to a parade. He's popular and the religious leaders want him dead. Tuesday of the Passion Week, the Pharisees, Herodians, and Sadducees attempt to discredit Jesus, try to find him guilty of a major offense, and set him up for execution. Jesus correctly answers three impossible questions, amazing and astonishing all. Well, this is an amazing story, but you notice Jesus' answers all had two parts. He defined authority of Caesar and of God, and paying taxes was acknowledging Caesar's authority, but he says God is the ultimate authority. He pointed out the Sadducees that they didn't know the power of God and that he was a living God, and of course, he gave us the two greatest commandments. I also believe Jesus was addressing two distinct audiences with this message as well. It's very clear he's schooling the religious leaders. That's plain. In fact, in the next chapter of Matthew, he really lets them have it. He calls them hypocrites six times. He calls them blind guides or blind fools five times. And in the end, he ends it up with calling them a brood of vipers. Now, I've got to admit, as a guy, maybe as a woman, you do too. um, It's kind of Kind of like the side of Jesus. You know, turning over tables, clearing the temple, really giving it to the the, the false teachers. They were supposed to be honorable men of God, but they woefully lost sight of their true mission, and Jesus took them to the woodshed for it. But I think, in a way, we have to thank these religious leaders because there's another message here that I think is really the application for us, because we're the second audience. So often in the Bible, Things are happening, but really, we are also an audience for what's happening. And here's the application. The first two questions, Jesus is reminding us of the important truths we need to know. In the first question and answer, he's affirming God is the ultimate authority. In the second one, he's saying God is a God of the living and desires eternal life for us. We need to know that. That's divine wisdom. The Sadducees and Pharisees didn't get it. It took Jesus, the living word, to bring this out, and it got brought out now for us. God has the authority, the power, and the desire for us to have eternal life and eternal relationship with him. This is a powerful message of hope. It's a divine message for us. So the first two answers tell us what we need to know, and the third answer tells us what we need to do we need to love and we need to have authentic relationships we need to love God with all our heart all our soul all our might we need to love others so here's the overall perspective when you put these three challenges together and the three answers to those challenges and you realize he's directing it to the Pharisees and Sadducees but also as a message for us I think in their full context it's a message of preparation it's preparing us prepare us for his kingdom. Affirm God. He has the ultimate authority. He has a power for eternal life. He desires eternal life for us. And he wants us in this world to do right now to love, to love others. And if we do that, we are preparing for his kingdom. He has given us the ultimate gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And our part is to have a loving, godly relationships. It's like our mission here at Bethany. To honor God by bringing people into a relationship with Christ and one another. That's our mission. Father, I just thank you for your words so that we can understand who you are and what your desire is for us and your design. We especially thank you for sending Jesus on our behalf to the living word and the sacrifice that pays the debt for all of our sins. We understand your commands for us to love in a godly way, to love you deeply to love our neighbors. Help us keep our heart filled with honorable and pure intent that will result in Christ-like Ashkins to show love to you and to our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen.